And welcome to episode 90 of Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast where we take a deep dive into a film chosen by our guest. Each season is a different theme and we are kicking it right on off with our new theme. Theme? Theme. A female-led film. Oh, goodness. Today, we are joined by cinematographer, filmmaker, and honestly, one of the nicest people you'll ever have the pleasure of meeting, Ross Imlach, who has decided that this episode, we're going to be looking at the absolute monster of a film that is Tar. So, Ross, my my love, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, no, thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm doing really well. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm doing. I'm being. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm all right. I'm feeling a wee bit rough today, but yeah, not too bad. All the better for seeing your lovely faces, boys. <laughs> Gary, you're quiet in that wee corner of the room. Have you missed me? I have. Yeah, it feels like it's been like six months since we recorded or something like that. But that's me being a little drastic. A little yeah. drastic. A wee bit dramatic. Leave that to the actor. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> now, Gary and I actually do hang out, out with, with this podcast. You know, sometimes we are actually friends in real life. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Over, <laughs> over a cheeky taco or two. <laughs> so anyways, Ross, why did you pick this this film? What about it enticed you to pick it for this? Uh, good question. I think it's, well, it's one of those films that I saw relatively recently and... When I first watched it, I kind of had that feeling at the end of what have I really just watched? It's it's got a lot to kind of kind of unpack, but it's yeah, it's got a lot of kind of depth. I find especially with sort of Kate Blanchett's performances and sort of the visual look of the film, I found pretty interesting as well. Mm. So yeah, I think just with that and those two criteria along with your theme, I thought it was probably quite a good yeah topic for discussion. I think you have picked very well. Um, before I go any further, though, I forgot to ask you the fundamental question. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? <laughs> yeah, of course. So, yeah, my name's Ross. I'm a cinematographer based in Glasgow, uh, like working all over Scotland. Um, kind of, yeah, worked on a lot of short films, uh, music videos, documentaries, things like that. So, yeah, I started off in like theatre kind of as my primary thing. I was a lighting designer for a few years and, yeah, I kind of decided to fuse that with my kind of passion and love for photography and film and yeah moved into filmmaking so and you're very very good at it I've had the pleasure of working on uh on films with Ross not as an actor but as a part of crew and you're a wonderful cinematographer and you're just wonderful to work with no it's you're always a pleasure probably the least grumpy DOP I've ever, <laughs> I've ever worked with um, I'll take that and if I find it very interesting, actually, that we're we're talking about this because we recently worked on something, and you had this in the kind of mood board for the thing that we were working on. Um, so, and I hadn't seen it before. Had you seen it before, Gary? No, actually, it's it's only it's like a year old as well, isn't it? It's not that mm-hmm. old, but well, was it twenty twenty? Yeah, twenty twenty two. So, I think it was September or something like that yeah. was announced. So, yeah, it's not been out for a long time and it's kind of had a bit of a limited release as far as i have found anyway trying to find like to watch the film even a couple months ago it was quite difficult so yeah i think it's actually i mean like steering a wee bit off topic i feel like now it's actually very difficult to see new released films because they have such limited releases like it's um it's released in america like months before it comes out in the uk or so it seems um 
yeah, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, Ross, what would you rate this film out of five? I had a real tough time coming up with a rating out of five. I think mm-hmm. it's there's some really fascinating things about it, and for that, I think we can chat about the reasons why but i was kind of veering towards i don't think i quite want to give it a four but i don't think it's quite three and a half so let's go Mm -hmm. for like somewhere in between those around like 3.75 so 3.75 cellos out of five conductors yeah let's go for that (laughs) that was a garyism there you love to do that on instagram don't you gary i do it's been a while it's been a while (laughs) (laughs) oh dear cool 3.75 we'll stick with that then gary what are you thinking man uh yeah i've I've got a hard time with this film. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of those ones where right now for me, I would say it's probably three and a half out of five. I think maybe on like second watch, you'll get a lot more from it. That might put it up to a 4.5. But at times I found it a bit of a slog, which makes it harder to want to go back for that second watch, even though I think mm-hmm. it's a film it's deserving of a second watch. It's really, it left me feeling kind of kind of weird on that. Um but yeah, so right now, like I think it's a three and a half. It might not even change by the end of this podcast because, as I say, I think it's it's going to be a second watch type thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You were kind of saying that as well, like when we watched Everything Everywhere All at Once. Like we 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 rated that high, but like some of it, we were a bit like, oh, that kind of brings it down that little bit. But mm. yeah, I I'm probably going to go a bit higher than you two. Uh, I will give it a four. Um, I was like you both i i found bits and bobs with it and i'm like this is a bit of a slog this is a slow burn but i really appreciated the craft of this film like and i I won't delve into it too much before we actually you know start talking about it but i i thought it was a fucking masterclass in acting oh my dear lord a masterclass in acting i think also a bit of a masterclass in filmmaking and tying elements together um so yeah, I think this gets a four for me. I don't know, like you, Gary, that if I'll move by the end of the podcast, but but yeah, I did enjoy it. I would probably sit and watch it again. Nice. With a bit of a poker prod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Um, there's so much that I think, even down to the pacing of the film that heightens the experience is like, yeah, I think that's partly why, yeah, as you say, the, a second watch is quite a good thing to do with this. Mm, mm-hmm. I suppose like that kind of happens with things like Shutter Island, for example, like uh, on a first watch, you can kind of be sitting there. Oh, I was anyway, sitting going, where is this going? Yeah, but I think we like Shutter Island, that's that film's deliberately made for a second watch. Mm. You know, there's like clues through it that you don't understand that you're watching clues until the Mm. very end. Whereas I don't know if this film is made for a second watch. It just kind of needs the second watch. Just for instance, um... The, the, I, want, I don't want to go into it too much but like the opening Q&A interview mm. like that will be totally different in a second watch like mm. and but you don't realise that watching it the first time yeah well there you was know? a point yeah. I, I came actually just to touch on that point I found a really interesting thing talking about that and as part of the interview I noticed that they had mentioned that previously well it's for anybody who hasn't watched it it's about uh, conductors, orchestra, music, and kind of the kind of how that was that all ties together. And one of the comments was how the first violin used to be the conductor of the orchestra, but mm-hmm. Tar's partner in the film is the first violin. 
So yeah. there's a ta- there's a point there where she kind of undermines that position in a way, like immediately from the start of the film, which then follows through as a thread, which yeah, I thought yeah. was fascinating. Yeah, that's true. It is. It is very like yeah. Let's let's not get too far because <laughs> Ross, you've got a little job to do for us just now. This okay. is a new little segment that we've we've been testing out, and it takes the the weight off of Gary and I. So you've already <laughs> kind of done it, but could you? Please give us a 60-second synopsis on Tar, and Gary's going to time you. Okay, no pressure. <laughs> okay, three, two, one, go. Okay, okay. Tar is a film uh, about a conductor, played by Kate Blanchett, whose narcissistic sort of tendencies kind of end up getting her down a really dark path and getting herself into more and more trouble. The, she we follow her through her sort of highest highs and li- lowest lows to a point where there's a yeah rather shocking end i suppose in terms of for her character um i don't know if there's much more to say than that apart from kind of delving into that some was, of the detail but that's fine yep that was like 35 seconds that's good <laughs> good elevator pitch time is the thing time is the essential piece of interpretation. You cannot start without me. I start the clock. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means time stops. The reality is that it's not until I once again decide to raise that hand that time is allowed to continue marching along her very merry way. So, shall we just delve in? We're going to start picking our three positive points and saying what we enjoyed about the film. Gary, my man, would you like to kick us off with this one? Yeah, sure. Um, so, like, looking at the film as a whole, like, I did find it slightly pretentious. Um, and I want to just kind of talk about, like, three different points of the the, the opening, I guess, of the film, the first one being having the end credits at the start, I don't really think that added anything to the film. So watching that, I was like, oh, this is a bit kind of up itself. What is this? I'm not going to lie. I decided to um, fast forward the credits after like 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, my first note is opening with the full credits is a bold choice. <laughs> yeah, a bold, yeah. bold boy. <laughs> but uh, but fun fact on that is I think uh, one of the first Hollywood films not to have opening credits was Star Wars and mm. they thought it was because it wasn't going to do that well and then for The Empire Strikes Back they had to fight not to have opening credits and just the opening scroll <laughs> instead. So there's a fun fact on that. I th- I'm at all right, but that's what I've heard through the grapevine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I was like, what are we getting into here? What's this going to be like? And then I want to kind of just quickly move on to the opening shot, which is the mobile phone that's on kind of this like live stream. And we don't really get much information on that at all. Yeah. But obviously by the end, we become full circle and that plays a lot into uh, Tar's downfall, I guess, as well. But the main one I want to speak about is the opening interview. I loved this opening scene uh, with Tar when she's doing this Q&A in a way you could look at it as 
kind of cheating because it's like pure exposition. It's like, <laughs> you know, um, but I was hypnotized by it. For me, it was a great insight into both classical music and the type of woman Tar is, her personality, her thoughts on music, her thoughts on being a conductor, a female conductor, um, the history of classical music. So we spoke about the violin part there as well. And just what she thought of like famous musicians and this lasts for nearly 20 minutes of the film mm. and i was engrossed i was invested i actually almost forgot that I was watching a film it just felt like you know like not that long ago i watched like something it was like a life in pictures with hugh grant and it was just him talking about his career and it was very similar to, like the the layout of it mm. and so i was kind of taken out of the film but in a good way and i was like oh yeah, shit, I'm watching a film here, that's right. Uh, which is deliberate, like, that's deliberate with what they went for. Um, and supposedly the kind of the host that is interviewing her is like a real host who knows a lot about classical music and stuff. So yeah, mm. I just, those, it's so funny how like my emotions in these first three scenes kind of went up and down. I was like, uh, yeah. opening credits, I'm like, oh, what is this? Then this kind of interesting <laughs> kind of, subtle scene with a live stream phone i was like mm, what is this and then this q a which lasts a lifetime it was really ups and downs uh, but i was invested by the end of that scene mm -hmm. i thought that that first scene was was like so clever and i, I won't like delve too much into it because it is one of my points but like i have like you in films you obviously naturalistic acting a lot of the time not in obviously all films I've never seen like such naturalism, like sitting in a character. I don't, I, I can't even describe it. Like it's just the way, like she just seemed like she was talking as if she was herself. Like as if there was no cross between like Kate Blanchett and Lydia Tarr at all. I feel it like was... that, yeah. Well, so there's a funny point there. I, I had a little look at some trivia points actually. And mm. apparently the film was specifically written for Kate Blanchett. And I saw yeah, that. The, the, until it was funded specifically to like produce it with her as the leading role it just wasn't going to happen so yeah i thought that was quite an interesting little point yeah no because I, I, I read that and i was like that's very interesting because apparently she had like quite a hard time with it um not so much well yeah like imposter syndrome and she was thinking like she couldn't bring herself to to like this level of development like and and it must have been so hard to actually learn how to conduct properly and like give yourself over to a role so deeply but well that's See, I it think I that's, think... Sorry, oh, i was just going to say um as another one thing that i thought was quite interesting is that all of the music is uh all the diegetic music is recorded on set as well so she relearned how to play yeah. piano she learned how to conduct it was all very much uh, like a full embodiment of the character no definitely and like because you can I just think like it, it it's such an impeccable like way to be with like a character. Um and I know like we're we've only kind of just like talked about like that first little scene, but from the get go I was just like, Oh, I'm gonna sit and enjoy this. Like yeah. yeah. So yeah. for for me on that as well, I so Kate Blanchett also is an executive producer on it as well. <laughs> and she had a lot of I guess control as a producer so it wasn't just like throwing money at it and I wonder if that falters it a wee bit and that's why for me it's only getting the three and a half because like you were saying that um like the performance is great I I, I got bored with the performance halfway through it and I and I don't know if that's because it felt like 
for a lot of the time she was pulling the same facial expression and we're not seeing much. It also could be looking at the trailer because I remember seeing the trailer at first and then yeah, these first few scenes really got me and I was kind of expecting this kind of spiralling black swan-esque or whiplash type me film. Too. I really want, yeah. and I thought, oh, this could be great. We're going to see Kate Blanchett go down this really dark, almost... Like unhinged. Yes, and she never becomes unhinged. I guess that's part mm. of the character because it's all about power. Um, So she's never going to, we're never going to see her unhinged. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I'm just seeing her kind of staring a lot and looking moody. Um, <laughs> so it was, you know, like... Yeah, yeah, like see the same way like people used to, and I think she's a good, uh, a good actor. But like Kristen Stewart, like they say, she just had one facial expression, <laughs> especially in Twilight. I thought we were getting a lot of that from Kate Blanchett in this. So, mm. um, yeah. But then again, but I wonder if, I wonder how much control she had on the scenes and things like that. How much was, she, how much was uh, Todd Field actually able to direct her when she's got so much riding on this as well from a, a producer's point of view um mm. so yeah yeah i think like i'll probably just actually delve into her performance because it's my first point anyway but this is why i really like when we do this podcast because i mean like the three of us are in different niches within this industry so we can appreciate different aspects as an actor i feel like i like learned a lot from her performance because i'm like just the nuances like for example See, when she's talking in that first interview and the way that she moves her hands, like when she's talking about how she controls time and how she controls pace and stuff, and I'm just like, this is insane because when she's talking about specific things, she uses different hands for different, like, gesture and, like, to emphasise more. Um, Even the way she carries herself in this, like, from start to finish, it's the change that's happening when it starts to become more unhinged when you start to see her lose her kind of grip and power I'm just like oh this is remarkable even like the way that she uses her voice in this and the amount of work that she because I've watched some interviews and she was saying that she'd done extensive work on the accent um because she's natural born Australian um which I'm like seamless accent from a Scottish person that has never been to America. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I just, and even in the conducting scenes, I was like, this is fascinating. Um, And she, it was the real, um, what do you call them? Berlin. I I don't, I can't remember if they actually have like, I can't remember the name, but the Berlin Orchestra um, with her conducting. And I'm like, oh, that must've been like terrifying, but also impeccable. And even speaking a different language, and how seamless and confident in it she is. I'm just like, oh, I love it. <laughs> I think See, that, there yeah. are there are faulted points, obviously. Like what you said, Gary, like I think the pace of the film does slow it down a little bit and like but Go for it, Ross. So I've got I a counterpoint to that as well. So in terms of the performance <laughs> and in its relation to the pacing of the film, I think it's, I found it really fascinating, especially on like a second watch, to see mm. how her shift in like the again it's very quite it's it's really quite subtle and like all the nuances that you see in her performance really start to accelerate as the film accelerates so for the first I don't know say half of the film I found it quite interesting to see how it's very structured very put together as a character and it's slow the whole film at that point is kind of going at a glacial pace but like with the interview it feels very rehearsed it feels very strong but as we get to the end and there's kind of a pretty shocking moment where 
she breaks down in with the fishbowl scene, you know, at the very like the kind of closing parts of the film, where the mm-hmm. kind of the facade cracks. And I think it's kind of culminated at that point with the fact that we've seen it all accelerate up to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So with with that opening, I kind of agree in parts, but kind of don't as well. So in that opening scene where she's talking about the CUNY and she's talking about time and rhythm and she says something along the lines of like I can see like you in time I can see you coming in I know exactly when we're going to meet or when this is going to end and stuff like that and I think that's really cool storyline story-wise because she's talking about that in relation to music but doesn't actually see the time in which her career is going to end she doesn't see that coming Uh, even though she's talking about how she can like through music, she can see different things happening and knows exactly when things are going to end, but she inevitably doesn't see her ending coming. So I thought that was quite cool. And then when she's talking, what? <laughs> and then the other side of that, she's talking about time and rhythm and uh, structure. And I'm like, that's hilarious as well because I think the structure of this film is all over the place. And <laughs> a film, ab- <laughs> a film about music and rhythm, you feel like the structure and the plot would be so spot on. Um. And you're saying about like how it's like the real Berlin orchestra that she's playing with and how she mm-hmm. learned to conduct. And I think all that is fascinating. But for me, all that stuff is fascinating once the story is is tight, you know? Yeah. And you can spend so much money on, on these things. But inevitably, I like another example of it is like, you know, someone like, I don't know, Jared Leto, who goes like method acting and does all this weight loss or this weight gain for these films, and then nobody really sees the films because they're not that significant because other things have let the film down. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I'm not saying this film is as bad as some of those ones, but you get do you get what I mean that you can put all that these interesting ideas into acting or performance or or camera or whatever, but inevitably, I think the story has to be the the first thing. Yeah, but that's just my opinion, and like obviously Ross is like he likes the end of the structure how it starts off slow, then kind of ends up messy at the end deliberately. Um, well, I I I'm kind of in the same position with Ross. Like I find that fascinating how like this this central character who is the one that controls time and pace in a in a ma- massive group of people, the more unhinged she becomes, the more fucking unhinged the film and the camera <laughs> and the and the and the aesthetic becomes. Like I mean. I think a perfect scene for that when you really see her kind of crack as a human is um, when her neighbor's mother has like fallen and she has to go and help and you can see, and like when she comes back and she's scrubbing herself and like freaking out and then there's that little bit of power play with uh, Olga, you know, uh, when she's in like the robe. I also, I'll just touch on this quickly. I thought it was really clever how at the start of the film we have Tar and uh, Francesca. Yeah her assistant in the car tars on the left francesca's on the right and you can see tars the one you know like you know just having a conversation like a bit um aloof almost like not really trying and francesca's the one that's chasing with the comments and this and then the questions and, and trying to book things and blah 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 and then we switch and we get the exact same shot of the car going through the tunnel and we have olga on the left and tar on the right and tars the one that's chasing and asking the questions and becoming more unhinged and i was like oh that was clever. That was that was very satisfying. <laughs> there's a few. I can't think of a sort of another specific example right the second, but there's a few good uses of that sort of device. Where as we kind of move through the film, we see something in a very similar way, 
but with the sort of yeah the flip of the position of power or the sort of yeah the the way that well tara's holding herself at the very well not very end of the film but when she is in uh asia and um she goes to get the massage and the girls are kind of um arranged similar to what the orchestra was arranged at and when number five looks up she's sitting in the position that olga sits in um yeah. and i was like oh my mm. god it's yeah, it it was very clever and again like that's probably the pinnacle point of the film where she realizes what she's done mm-hmm. what she's lost how kind of hideous of a human she actually is and then yeah i just thought that was very very clever no i would agree i think that to me is some of the some of the appeal to the film is kind of just the sort of clever devices and this sort of filmmaking and yeah cinematography as well there's some like interesting bits of visual language that kind of make it their way throughout the film that kind of add to this sort of the tension and then yeah the ultimate unraveling of that mm-hmm. yeah definitely everybody's first point or have i just I think, skipped right over everybody I think ross is still yeah. his first point have you got your official first point ross <laughs> uh so yeah i was going to talk about performance and i think we've done that quite a lot just there um in terms of how kate blanchett's yeah it's, uh, to me it felt like a masterclass. uh we were just yeah there's a lot of nuance there's a lot of yeah there's obviously a lot of work that's gone into that to get it as convincing as it was i think I knew that I was watching a narrative film, but the initial interview scene to me almost felt documentary-esque. And I think that there's there's a couple of points I've got related to that. I think the way it's filmed, uh, well, the way it's photographed is very, it felt almost documentarian at the start, which, yeah, I, I think really helped bring you into the film and get invested in the character because it almost felt like you were like seeking out that information about that person. And yeah, I think we've probably touched on most of the points about performance <laughs> i guess that i would have done just there as well so i guess yeah yes. i think it's maybe worth touching just before we move on though the um scene where she's in juilliard um i've got a point about that too <laughs> go for, go for it go for well, it so, you, you yeah, start, start us off again this is kind of combined thing i think the performance is fascinating but the juilliard shot uh, scene is one take i don't know if you noticed that this. <laughs> this is my point too <laughs> let's um, team up <laughs> yeah so i guess we can kind of talk about that a little bit more the juilliard scene i thought was fascinating because it's it, it kind of immediately pays off as like a real negative for tar um and it's interestingly shot as a one take but it's cut up and then posted on social media in a way that kind of portrays a bit of malice. Um, and I thought that was fascinating because the performance had to be done so well that it would play in both versions of the cut. Uh, yeah, I think that was just a really interesting thing to me. Um, and it really kind of helped. I guess it's almost a bit of sympathy for Tar at that point because you're invested in the sort of you you understand that she's perhaps not a great person but you almost want to be on her side at that moment especially when everything is kind of turned against her yeah i think you know you've done a villain really well when you've got the audience going oh but yeah uh, but at the end i was like i don't want to feel sorry for you but i do i really do um well it's because of the that... save the cat moment where she goes to her daughter's school and mm. she stops her daughter 
being bullied essentially. So it's that's like your you know save the cat where you have your villain do at least one nice thing quite close to the start of the film. So therefore you're on their side. Although yeah. is that a nice thing? If she's willing to speak like that to a child, it really shows how cutthroat a person this character yeah. is as well. But if they just I, do something nice for the sake of us to get on their side, that doesn't work either. So I think the mm. idea is we're going to show her being we're going to show her being a villain, but to save someone she cares about. So the villainry, villainry, villainry. It's not me for a change. Uh, we we care about we care about her kid. So therefore, to see her stand up for a kid, even if it's in a mean way. We are rooting for her because we want the kid to be safe at school, I guess. Yeah. I also feel that the fall from grace is so far that it makes you go, fucking hell, man. Like, this is, this is really sad. Like that, that, like just leaving the stage at the very end of the film and showing you where she is. I mean, we can spoil it. Like, it's fine. People, spoilers are coming. Like, she starts off as like, the female conductor, the maestra of the Berlin Orchestra. And at the end, she's doing a fucking score for Monster Hunter, the video game at a Comic-Con. Like, I know. oh, crikey. That's... And I mean, if only some of us could could be so blessed to, to, to you know, conduct for Monster Hunter. However, what a fall from grace. I think especially for the character, seeing that as perhaps a lesser form of art or yeah culture that it, yeah it i guess it's just amazing to see the i don't know as you say it could be something that could be really positive someday somebody could love that but mm-hmm. for her that she couldn't imagine anywhere worse and i think it, you see that in her face when she is then performing or yeah working on that it's, it's funny it's like that the... you say that because like like nicola i guarantee if you were offered like a lead role for like the Monster Hunter game or if I was asked to direct it or if you were <laughs> asked to I do something like the cinematography we'd be like oh this is great and yeah that's yeah. like her fall from grace you know <laughs> but that's what I mean like I, I feel like because you know uh, 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 like in our kind of lives we'd be like oh fuck yeah like absolutely this is incredible but like put into context within this film you're like oh dear lord she it should... could have been worse she could have been doing it for like a McDonald's advert but... a jingle for like a car insurance company or something <laughs> Yeah, there there has been a bit of discussion online as to whether or not that whole closing sequence was a hallucination there's a lot of like breaks in continuity there's a lot of like weird changes in the way it's shot that actually (laughs) some people are like is this actually real at this point or is this just now does it feel frantic because it's yeah it's just now a dream and she's like coasting by and yeah there's one of these things that mm-hmm. yes a, a bit of op- the fact it's open to interpretation i thought was quite interesting mm-hmm. as well yeah i also think just to touch on it very quickly like uh, in use of like kind of maybe not motifs but like moments let's let's say moments in this film when she's going into the really big fancy apartment that she shares uh, with her partner um you notice how, well, I don't know if you guys picked it up, but she turns all the lights off when she goes in. So the lights are already on and you get to see like the kind of grandeur of this place and she starts turning the lights off and like kind of settling in. And when she goes back to her family home, she turns the lights on. And I'm just like, this is such like a double-edged sword. It's genius. And then obviously at first she's going home to her partner who is this very, you know, like attractive, beautiful, like talented individual 
when she goes back to her family home i'm presuming it's her brother and you know he calls her by her real name and is like she's a bit disgraced when she's there and like the rustic feel and the bit more like I don't want to say like dirty or unclean because it's not, but you know how like when something is like clinically clean compared to like what normality would be. Like I just thought that was also genius how it's like just tipping you that she's falling from grace. That juxtaposition I think is fascinating in terms of the locations. The uh, because yeah because the Berlin apartment is so modern, like concrete uh, panel walls with really like quite out there furniture and like very sort of tidy and well put together yeah collections mm-hmm. of music and everything that kind of i guess almost feels like then it was a facade when you see where she did actually come from in the family home where it's a little bit more chaotic like i suppose anybody's house often is compared to a film set <laughs> and i suppose even like you know like if you're if we're talking about it as more like a kind of like shroud or like something that's just been pulled like wool over like lydia to linda mm-hmm. i think her real name's linda mm-hmm. um it's like such a subtle change you know it's almost like you've just kind of pulled a wee cover over it but yeah I just oh I really 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 enjoyed those aspects of this film like like I've said previously like the doubling up of like the kind of the car and like switching positions and just showing like physically power play as opposed to exposition I just thought that was incredibly clever and as you've touched on Ross like that I thought it was really clever how we start the film with these long scenes and like you said Gary like 20 minutes at the very start and by the end we're getting choppy we're we're cutting in and about we're not doing one shots anymore you know it's mm-hmm. becoming more unhinged more messy more not as put together so I just yeah I thought that was incredibly clever that was on quite nicely to my second point which is just the kind of power play and where it comes from and also that in relation to cancel culture, because I feel that this film isn't isn't given an answer on how that feels about cancel culture. It's just putting it out there as like a question. Um, so, you know, Lydia uh, um, has obviously found power in this industry. She's found fame, and she has kind of became this this hardened women we don't really see her before life so she might have been already hardened uh, prior to that as well mm-hmm. but she likes to keep keep power um and she likes to obviously show power so one of these i guess is like her relationships with like her wife or with the is it krista the person that's committed suicide in it mm-hmm. yeah yeah yes. so obviously with that as well but then there's also small things like the guy is it sebastian that she goes to sack he's got the pen clicking and she immediately stops that you know um we've got max who's got Mm -hmm. this nervous tick when he's like leg is tapping and she she deliberately stops that so she always wants to be in control now we're talking about you're talking about the power swap with the car the only person that she can't control is olga as well um she really tries but olga almost uses tar to her advantage as well so and i think that's what makes her hungry to chase after that which then mm-hmm. kind of brings me to some of the, like the, the cancel culture stuff as well because uh no i may get some of this wrong because it's my first time watch so i apologize at first but like with with max max's character he um i'm quite a fan of classical music um i couldn't tell you half the composers or musicians but i just like listening to it mm-hmm. but he 
uh, sorry, Max at the start, um, slates back right away. They're like, no, not interested in that. And Lydia's like, well, if you actually listen to the music, like, if you actually took your time, he's like, no, I'm just not interested. And that's really interesting because then she goes down this kind of spiel about, well, are you only not listening to him because he's a heterosexual straight man? Like, because that's not cool anymore to, to do that. And I found that quite interesting because that's coming from this only really famous female music conductor. So she's very separate. But then if you look at it even more, I, I found that interesting because I think that is happening in a lot of like cultures at the moment where it's not cool to listen to the, the, the I don't know, the, the famous white guy who's like, been acting or singing or whatever and it's not because of maybe that music's not good anymore or that acting or that film's not it's just yeah. it's cooler to listen to these niche things and we should cancel this or cancel that so it was really interesting that Lydia's point of view on that was like no this music's still amazing like and yeah. we can't just cancel this because of that and then through the film she inevitably gets cancelled herself but w what else is interesting is she acts like a patriarchal man in this. She uh, has all the power. She, when she goes up to the school bully, she calls herself her father um, as well. She is actually thinking about hiring Francesca to replace Sebastian, but then when Sebastian calls her out on it, uh, she decides not to because she doesn't want to look like she is just choosing Francesca because she's a female so she was actually she was actually going to hire Francesca to replace him because she was good enough not because she was a female but since it looked like she was trying to tick a box she was like no I'm not doing that um so it, it questions a lot on that and then we get the question of like you know the the me too movement in this as well it doesn't really sway into it too much but it's funny because the me too the me too movement is used against her but actually what she's getting kind of criminalised for, she didn't actually do, but there's other worse things that she is doing. So mm. it kind of questioned the Me Too movement as well without actually giving an answer on where it lies on it. So it was doing a lot with all that. Um, and mm. again, it, it'll need a second watch. <laughs> I think you've actually touched on some really interesting stuff there. See, um, at the very start when she's in Juilliard and she's kind of, like she is talking about like, you know, um, I don't. I, I can't like phrase it specifically because I can't remember exactly what she said. But she's talking about not kind of cancelling these composers because of their flaws, i.e., being racist, being homophobic, being this, being that. And it's interesting because she's kind of doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. She's saying, "Listen to the beauty. You know that their work is more important than who they are. You know, disregard all the horrible things they've done and enjoy their music and enjoy their talent." And it's kind of setting you up for her because it's like enjoy her enjoy who she is her success what she what she has managed to do in life disregard all the horrible things she's actually done but it's, it's interesting as well let's so although uh although lydia doesn't go into this herself but if we look at that in general let's use i don't know kevin spacey as an example all right um if everything he's done is true should we stop watching Kevin Spacey films or films with him in it? Because what about everyone else that worked on that film and put in time, money and effort into that film? So one of my favourite films is Seven. Like, uh, So should I like stop watching that? 
and you could put the same thing into into this film because mm-hmm. she's the conductor but it's the orchestra that's making the music and so if yeah. you shut if you shut her down you could be shutting down a lot of other people as well which is interesting I think it yeah. really plays with that question of how do you separate the art from the artist? And I don't mm. think it gives you an answer, but it definitely makes you think about it, which is why I found the film quite interesting. I think it doesn't give you the answer, but it does make you kind of really think about it. So, no, yeah. I think that's a really good point. Definitely. And I, I think there's maybe a line in, in like what you've said, for example, Gary, um, about like someone like Kevin Spacey like it is a fine line isn't it because like you say like you cancel his films and his work you also don't aid the people that took the time to make it alongside him Mm -hmm. however i think there's enough to be said about like you can still watch and enjoy a film without supporting Mm -hmm. him and you can still listen to this class these classical pieces of music without supporting the artist you can still go and see an orchestra play live without actually giving uh, support and and credence to the person that's conducting them. Yeah. You can recognize all the bad things they did. Yeah. I feel like there's a bit of a lesson there in terms of just how you, I guess, how you represent that artist as well. Like, what is the story that you tell alongside it? Or do you make sure that things like um, that you kind of acknowledge that there are some potentially questionable bits of their history or that they are not a good person or yeah at the time this wasn't something that anybody knew about but this was produced and as a piece of art it's separate or how do you yeah I guess I'm rambling a little bit here but I suppose the question is how do you then educate people I suppose so that they don't just listen to beautiful music and forget that it was composed by like I don't know racist misogynistic old men totally Mm -hmm. and like what is interesting in this film is we actually never really see any of Lydia's flaws on screen. You know, it's all very subtle, like, and I mean, you see some of them and you see like the power play and, and that, but like some of the stuff that she is kind of criminalized for or her name is tainted for, they keep it quite a lot of it hidden, like, especially with like these other relationships that she supposedly had, uh, which I thought was quite an interesting film choice as well um and i think that that scene with max is interesting because she's like you basically she's stating that you can still learn from these people like in relation to their music which again i mean it would would question like an acting lecturer or if they chose to use someone like kevin spacey to teach and like like i'm going to show you this clip from this film uh, watch what Kevin Spacey does in x y and z in this scene now those students could still learn a lot from that and Kevin Spacey isn't profiting from that, I guess. Like if you've shown that in a class, so that there is it. It's quite it's it's quite a hard thing to manoeuvre, I guess, isn't it? As well, with that I suppose it's to do with moral levels as well. Like some mm-hmm. people will be like, "I will not support this person." Like for example, if we talk about somebody like J.K. Rowling, people won't watch Harry Potter, won't read the books, won't play the games. Fair enough. Other people will say, you know, like there are the people that are involved that still deserve to be supported and you know their work still deserves to be seen but what, what fair I mean, enough but what what i'm getting at is i agree with that let's not buy i'm not saying i agree with that personally with jk rowling but i agree with no, your, no, no. your point but what what i'm I guess what i'm trying to say is and i think what 
Tar was trying to say in that scene was, yes, let's not let's not go out and maybe buy a J.K. Rowling book, right? But as an someone that wants to be an author, mm-hmm. sh- could they study that book to learn how to be a great writer? That's, that's what I mean, yeah. yeah like, like, because that's you, very you different. Can, than, yeah, it's a fucking tricky one, isn't it? it is, <laughs> but, it really is. but but it's a good film in that it makes you feel these these emotions and think about these things in a wider perspective what um, what i would say just to to wrap that up as well is i thought it was interesting that it was only like the last 15 minutes that really showed her downfall and mm-hmm. for a film where the synopsis is all about her inevitable downfall i was like i wanted more of that i think yeah. i could have took maybe 20 minutes from the middle act and kind of wipe away some of that and give us more of like that transition from where she rugby tackles the guy off the stage to you know where she's like composing for Monster Hunter. I would have liked more of what happened in between that. I guess. Just would, to oh, I was going to say, sorry, goes. would that have been as shocking though if we hadn't had that time in the middle to kind of learn mm. some more of the traits and kind of up the ante a little bit by getting to know her daughter and family and things a little more. I don't know because that's where I was like, kind of, my mind was starting to shut off was near the middle, and then at the end I was like, okay, you've kind of got me again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't it's know. Also, yeah. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because like just very briefly to touch on this so that we'll kind of wrap this point up. When you think of cancel culture, it's a very like cause and effect immediate thing, isn't it? It doesn't usually like like float in the media for years and years. It's usually a couple of weeks, the person's cancelled, they're never heard from again type of thing. Um, they'll make a public apology or whatever. I thought it was really interesting how this film is like it's it's slowly leading you and showing you the things that she does and her downfall and her downfall is so quick 15 minutes mm-hmm. and it kind of reflects on what happens with cancel culture i thought that was quite clever um it doesn't like linger on it because you know like media is so fast these days you don't linger on things like these um like kevin spacey for example because we've just spoke about him obviously people know now and and it's lasted a long time but he's not in the news anymore yeah, I can't remember the last time I saw an article about him. That's true. You know, that's true. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next points, anyone? Um, I've done two. Okay, well, let's have a little chat about the way it's shot. I think it's I kind of it kind of follows the same sort of trajectory as we've just talked about in terms of the pacing of the film and kind of the character's downfall. I find there's a lot of really interesting like isolating shots of tar like at the start mm-hmm. and like kind of the first act especially i find where it's a big wide vista of her in a space on her own and there's, yeah there's just a really sort of i guess that as a device i thought was quite interesting to kind of just show how much of an individual she is and how actually probably to her nobody else actually really matters other than her as well um apart from when you start to then yeah see when she's chasing olga but i suppose she just hasn't found that new muse yet at least in those moments it's interesting as well like just something i I noticed and i don't know if maybe you two did she's always uh, staged higher than everybody else yeah there's that as well but toward the end like i think a very specific uh, moment for me was when um her neighbor's mother i'm presuming it's her neighbor's mother um 
because I didn't have subtitles for the German bit, unfortunately. But um, when her neighbor's mother's passed away and they're taking the body bag down the stairs and she's pushed into this tiny little space and, and kind of crushed and she looks so small. And I think it's one of the first times in the film we actually do see her look small and look terrified. Because um, even the bit where she's like washing herself after she's helped move the woman into the chair, that's such a wide shot that she she does look small, but everything, the grandeur like around her is still big there's still magnitude to it um mm-hmm. no yeah. I, I think that's it the other some of the other things i had found quite interesting with it as well is that it feels at least again the first two acts it feels very naturalistic for a good portion of it as well which i feel kind of almost heightens the tension too because you're getting a like what is kind of proposed as like a very like factual very serious view of it and like you're getting a very objective view rather than yeah potentially adding it or making it feel like either dreamlike or sort of heightened in any way and i think that then raises the stakes to then the ultimate downfall at the very end the last 15 minutes there's mm-hmm. yeah there is some in- interesting stuff as well i don't know if you noticed the little glimpses of krista in the rooms at various points so mm-hmm. at, at, in the so again this is spoilers um there's a point where <laughs> um tar goes to comfort her daughter who's yeah um basically having a nightmare, nightmare. Or... yeah they're just yeah, having like, making noise in the night and uh yeah there's a little gleating like fleeting glimpse of uh, krista just in the it's corner so of the frame creepy. and there's ah! a few moments of that that just are you could miss it if you blinked and it, you would yeah you would miss out i was on really that scared power. when she went down into the basement area mm-hmm. i was like oh what is that i don't like it <laughs> And I think yeah. that's where the turning point started for me, I think, to really feel kind of serious is when you start to get those changes in the perspective and how the little things aren't quite as they maybe seem. And that, we're to start with, we've definitely been seeing it from Tar's perspective of everything's put together, everything is under control, to then little things sneaking in and just making you kind of second guess the, I guess, the narrative that you're seeing. Even the dream sequences, mm-hmm. I thought they were really uh, they were done very interestingly, um, mm-hmm. and not like you know how like usually in film when people have nightmares, it's this very over the top like oh my god, and like the music and the uh, but it's silent, and I'm like oh this is just so clever, mm-hmm. um, and it becomes more claustrophobic as it goes on as we close in on her, yeah, stuff like that, genius. Um, think- also just. I've remembered very quickly, sorry, okay. Gary, just okay. a very quick one. See when she falls and she hurts herself, um, the shoulder that she hurts, I find it so interesting because that's the one that controls pace. Um, huh. And when the doctor, when she's like, how do, how do we fix it? And the doctor says, it will fix itself. And then we start getting all this unhinged. I'm like, this is so clever. Oh my goodness. Who thought of these things? I, I salute you, whoever you are. Um, but even like, yeah, like further into the film, she goes for a massage because it's still sore. And then we get that scene where it's actually sex work. And yeah, it's it's all coming together. I just thought that was a really, really clever little tidbit. If you missed it, you missed it. But if you recognize it, you're like, oh, that's clever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those 
horror scenes at night that you're speaking about as well with Christie and like the corner and stuff is very like Ari Aster film and it's very hereditary and very midsummer mm-hmm. and I think quite a lot of the the framings and moods were like that as well. Um I also really liked all the kind of opening scenes where it was almost like a scene would be one shot and I don't mean like one big long take. I mean simple scenes where she tells uh, Sharon or wife, I'm going to take our daughter to a uh, school today, and it's literally one static shot. And you know, when we start out with filmmaking, we're always like, "Oh, we need to get coverage, coverage, coverage." And it's like just really nice to see. No, we can tell this scene in one shot. Let's just give it really nice lighting, uh, really nice framing and marks for the actors, and it just it works. And it's really nice to see that confidence, um, in both the cinematographer and and the director mm-hmm. as well. I think that's, yeah, it's almost remembering that you have permission to let things play out in a wide, if it's staged nicely, if you've got, yeah, really interesting art direction and fantastic location. You don't have to be, yeah, doing the born classic fast cut type action no. thing all the time. Sometimes actually kind of going back to something that feels a little bit maybe more theatrical is actually quite a powerful device, especially yeah, in this kind of film where the pacing has such an impact on the way the story is told. I yeah. I find myself also thinking that like especially see um the scene with Sebastian where she's like nicked his pen so he stops clicking and he's and she's essentially telling him to move on. I was like bold choice in the wide the entire time. I like it, but mm-hmm. I'm also like now I'm listening. Yeah. I appreciate what you've done and now I'm really listening because I'm not like getting distracted by like, oh, her eyes look really pretty there or like, oh, that facial expression, or, you know, there's none of that. Like it's just two people in a room and you feel like a fly on the wall. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciated the camera work in this film. Um, seamless, stunning. <laughs> and then in the, the later part of the film, messy and chaotic. <laughs> but deliberately so i think yeah it's such a hard balance sometimes to find but i think this film did it really well to me anyway. i was waiting to see if we we would get a dutch angle creeping in at the end alas <laughs> we did not but i was like will they go down this route? no i think it was still tasteful which i quite liked <laughs> yeah yeah um no really enjoyed that um i suppose like this kind of leads into my last point actually if we're we're good to go into that mm-hmm. Um, it's it's about the length of the scenes and the build into them. Like I think this film was, as you've just said, Ross. Like it took, it didn't need permission. It took it, and it went. We're going to just let sit, and we're going to just like literally fly on the wall type of thing. Um, I love how we start off with a twenty minute scene, insane. And I was like, how much longer is this going to be? And I think it ended up being like twenty three minutes or something. Um, and then the scene after that where she's talking about going to Juilliard and that that itself is you know a, a lengthy boy and then in Juilliard I was like this is incredible and now I'm in for the ride I'm sitting with you and I'm enjoying this and I just love how it didn't shy away like it didn't like you said Ross done that boring thing where it's like chop 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 fast 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 in and out it was like you're just gonna sit you're gonna eat your popcorn you're gonna enjoy it baby <laughs> But then toward the end, we start chipping and chopping and getting hectic and chaotic. Like I still that bit um with the, the old woman and like those kind of 
like we get the the nice kind of um steady cam movement um as she goes in and then we we wait at the door frame and then she comes back and then we see her scrubbing but there's shot there's like cuts whereas almost similar but not quite and um, when she goes in and um what's her her partner's name again Sharon. Sharon. when Sharon is sat in the house and says like um I, I can't i can't really remember what was wrong with her but she couldn't find the medication we get that nice little steady cam movement and we wait at the door we can see Sharon on one side we can see lydia on the other side and then we move seamlessly back and there's not really any like cutting about you know we th- we move out in the one shot and give them space together and i'm like this is lovely mm-hmm. i like this but then obviously later on we get a similar kind of vibe but we cut in between and you know ramp it up a little bit mm-hmm. um, did you notice in that scene lydia had been actually taking the medication herself and actually yeah. kind of swapped it back in again just as again probably as a little moment of control or just seeing that like pure i don't know it's like a slightly dangerous kind of uh point of view that lydia must have that well it makes more it, it, it helps her more so she'll maybe just take that and that doesn't matter that her partner doesn't have it so i also and even think it's interesting that line... sorry so i'm just gonna say that like because lydia's taking the medication there isn't she as well and i wonder if it's a she feels she needs that medication but can't seen can't be seen to be taking medication because that's a sign of weakness when she, like hmm. to this all powerful woman <laughs> I suppose as well, because of the angle it's shot at, it's almost heightened that it's a secret because we're not really meant to be there. We're just creeping yeah. at the side of the door. I love the camera work. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, but even like that line, like, let's slow this down to 60 beats a, a, 60 beats a second or 60 beats a minute. I'm like, minute. dear Lord, like that in itself, I'm just like, that's like <laughs> such a controlling, like, you know, declaration. You know, like, especially after you've just been taking medication and stuff. I'm like, this is wild. But yeah. Although then she really... gets corrected by her partner and said, no, it's actually 64. Yeah. And I suppose <laughs> yeah. it kind of gives an int- a bit of insight into the, like, yeah, the dynamic between the two of them and like how they sit mm-hmm. also in the orchestra as well, I suppose. I find it interesting as well that the fastest, well, for me, I could be wrong and you two can correct me. I think the fastest scene or fastest part of this film was when they're in the car and she's driving like a fucking maniac. Um, and then Sharon gets out mm. and it's it's just you can see it coming to the head like the relationship coming to the head and like the danger I suppose as well that Lydia's kind of in and that they're both kind of finding themselves in I thought mm-hmm. that was I was like oh my god this is really intense like how the hell did they execute this with no, with no accidents <laughs> in that very very posh looking hybrid car I thought it was interesting because the the framing of that car and where the camera is, that's like a perfect setup for there's going to be a car crash here. Mm-hmm. And that, to the average viewer, they might not notice, but I was like, it's going to be a big car crash. But I think that's the director then playing with us where we're ex- then expecting that. Because there's that point where she almost hits a car and it's like the director's like, got you. Yeah, subverting <laughs> that expectation. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so, and because I, like you, Gary, I had seen the trailer and I thought it was going to be a delve into being unhinged and very Black Swan esque. So I was kind of waiting for the explosions and um, where they mount the camera where she's running out of the basement bit and then she falls. Mm. I was waiting for it to be like somebody's watching her, and and obviously we get the little uh, little moments of like the social media like videoing her and stuff, and I'm like somebody's stalking her. This is really quite creepy. 
and where the camera's mounted i'm like some this is going to be almost like a kind of cctv thing like you're going to see them fucking hit her or attack her or something and then she just falls and i'm like this is so (laughs) clever 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 and that only lasts for like what five seconds yeah you know yep interesting and clever i like it (laughs) anybody else's third point um, just because we're talking about cinematography, my last point we've touched on it anyway was the color grading in the film. Um, I, it's like one of my favorite kind of when you're doing something that's kind of like psychological thriller to like keep the tones quite muted, you know, drain some of the color out, a slight desaturation, um, and I think it really works here because that's how, for the most part, Tar is feeling is this kind of. Like as the film gets further and further on, she's feeling a bit more muted herself. She can't she be as outspoken. Like you know, she's not got everyone on her side, and it's such a stark contrast to the world of music, which should be really bright and epic and colourful. And so, right from the beginning, it was almost like this subtle foreshadowing of what this film's going to be. Um, and I really, I really just liked it. Yeah, I thought it was it was it was subtle colour grading, but it really it really worked. Yeah, I think the the overall kind of naturalistic feel was a really good choice for the film. It didn't have to be, yeah. I think it 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 really paid not to be flashy or colorful or yeah anything like that. Even the way it was lit as well, it was all very much like there was. It all felt like it was meant to be there. There was nothing that stood out as being like a like a choice, a stylish, a stylistic choice for the sake of it being. A style mm-hmm. so yeah i thought that really worked mm-hmm. yeah i i was saying this actually to uh, one of our friends last night um i thought it was just very interesting how all aspects of this film kind of tie to tar like it's clean and there's not really much on the surface to pick at it you're just like yeah this looks like normal but i appreciate it because it is clean it's um it's like clinical's not the right word. It's like you know when you when you see these houses nowadays and it's like modern classical and everything's fucking white. Like that's what it reminds me of. Well, um, just like Tar's own apartment where she has the exactly. grand piano and and that's all monochrome. It's very mm-hmm. clean. It's very put together. Like she's trying to be as a. There's character. no chink in the metal. No, yeah. that's it. And I think the whole film is kind of photographed in that same style, which I think is mm-hmm. yeah. The only choice. bit that kind of changes it up a little, well, not the only bit, but the bit that changes it up for me is when she's in Asia and then we mm-hmm. get the warmer tones and the more kind of like full bodied color. I, I always say this to, to people I'm working with, I'm like full bodied color and they're like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm like, I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> but it means something to me, but it's that kind of, do you know what I mean? Like higher contrast, like texture and mm-hmm. like, yeah, it just looks vibrant. That's probably a word to use. Not yeah. so clinical. Um, yep. To slightly so, yeah, go think... off topic there, when she does go for the massage, um, it reminded me of Rush Hour 2 when he goes to the Heaven on Earth massage parlour and like the doors, I don't know if any of you have seen it, but the doors no. open and it's just like a bunch of females for him to choose from. And it's basically the same thing here, only that's supposed to be a comedy and it was like, this is so hard to take serious right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, I, I looked at it and I was like, what is going on here? And then I kind of realized I was like, they're set up like her orchestra set mm. up. And then when number five looked up, I went, Olga, oh my God. Well, it's, so yeah, because fucking it, genius. Because it's the same number as the piece that they were working on in Berlin as well, right? So yeah. it's, yeah, all yeah. tied together. But 
clever filmmaking. Definitely. Um, I want to know whose genius idea that was. <laughs> I mean, I'd probably Kate Blanchett because she's well. <laughs> well, maybe it could have been you know could have been someone else. Could have been could have been a a, a a grip for all you know. Ross, not joking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you never know. Um, you never know. No, I think it's good. I think um, we've kind of covered a lot of my points as well. I think in this discussion, Mine generally. The th- nice. Something that I thought was yeah interesting. There was a few musical cues that just were really powerful. There's a moment where you go to a really drastic shot of Tar, and she uh, starts the orchestra, and it's loud. It's one of the loudest mm. moments in the film, and you get that shock value of like what it must be like to be in that position of power, and just observe mm. that from like yeah, from the, guess, the, the perspective one... of the orchestra. It's very near, quite near the start. What's the is it is it the same one as um see when she's conducting and she's really going for it but she's making noise is it when she's like wah blah. is that that one or is that a different one no so like near the start it's like just it, there's silence and then she oh, right. starts the orchestra and then there's yes. a massive kind of yeah immediate like crescendo which I think is mm-hmm. yeah a really it was a really like kind of powerful use of music especially then when there are such quiet moments other like outside that as well like a lot of the diegetic music is quite it is, i mean it's very impressive the fact they recorded that on set as well is really cool but mm-hmm. the fact that yeah then out with that there was nothing i could say was particularly noteworthy as like soundtrack or non-diegetic music that kind of stuck stuck out and i think almost limiting the sort of noteworthy parts to where it is music that's being conducted or performed in front of you it's it kind of almost really biases your kind of opinion of or just i guess your perspective like sonically uh, like with the film as well and how potentially i guess it's perceived by tar as well i suppose of whether or not like if if, if my arms aren't moving then it's not worth listening to mm. it's yeah. incredible isn't it like oh oh but even that sorry just to add another little bit the bit i i cringed like fuck and i was like i love that i'm cringing like fuck when um the neighbors come over and they're like could you let us know when you're playing music she was like yes of course i mean of course and they're like so that we can organize for people to come over so they don't have to listen to it and then, <laughs> i was like oh my god and then she's walking around like apartment for sale using the instrument that was krista's interesting mm-hmm. bold decision <laughs> but yeah that moment i was like oh my god but very much like that if no if the music's playing and my arms aren't moving it's not worth listening to yeah i would also say like just the last note of the music is it's the same for the rest of the music it's the same composer as joker uh, <laughs> who obviously won an oscar for it but it's quite subdued in this, you know, like, uh, because I guess the, uh, it can't be seen to overpower the orchestra, mm-hmm. I guess, is the reason for it as well. Yeah. The last piece of music in this, I can't remember the actual name, like, but it's something like, like For Petra. Mm-hmm. And I find that very interesting because that's her daughter. Um, and the last thing in the film being about the, the child. Um, but yeah. I th- I thought I was like interested by that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm, maybe she does have a little bit of. Well, she does obviously have a bit of humanity in that sense, but yeah, yeah. Has anyone got any other notes that they want to discuss? I'm kind of. That's me. Oh, I'm all musically noted out. 
I think, oh, yeah. fuck my life. <laughs> 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 no, I think... In which... <laughs> without, yeah, like, I don't know, having had another time to kind of go through it and kind of really dive into it again, I think we've kind of covered off most of my points and kind of all the bits and pieces we've touched upon there. Fabulous. Has anyone's final ratings changed? I don't okay, know. That's another. I'd, I'd, I'd maybe bump it to a four. It was kind of three point seven five because I think it is great, and I think on reflection, sometimes the criticism of the slow pacing probably just comes from the kind of modern inability to sit still for twenty minutes. And actually, yeah. when you think about it in context of the film, it is really clever as a device, and maybe that should bump up the score for me a little bit. Nice. Gary? Um, I might... No, I'm going to stick just now. I think I'm going to stick. Um, Are you sure? Just now, you've only got one opportunity. <laughs> yeah, but I could I could change it in the future with a second watch and stuff. I mean, but yeah, for the podcast, I'm afraid. Okay. Yep, I'm going to stick. 3.5. I originally was going to give it 4.5, but I, I settled on a 4. I think I'm probably going to stick at a 4. I think it is... Everything I've said, masterclass in acting, has a couple of wee moments where I'm like, come on, let's ramp the, the intensity and the pace up. But what you've said, Ross, the inability to sit still for 20 minutes probably plays into it also. Um, but yeah, I, just as a last little thing, like I really enjoyed this film. I really, really enjoyed watching it. It's one that I wanted to see for ages, so when you picked it, I was like, yes! Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad so you enjoyed yeah. it. Thank you, thank you. Who'll bear the pall? We said the win, both the cop and the hen. I'll we'll bear the, the pole. pole. Who'll sing a song? I said the trash as sat on a bus. I'll sing a song. Who'll toll the bell? I said the bull because I can pull. I'll toll the bell. All the, the birds, birds of the, the air fell sighing and a sobbing when they heard the bell. And we're back for our quick fire quiz round. Where Gary and I are going to ask Ross five questions each based on the film. Ross, if you don't get 10 out of 10, I'm never going to speak to you again. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bit of fun. Don't worry. Don't worry. Right. I'll kick us off because, you know, may as well. Question one, which conservatoire does Tar give a lecture at at the start of the film? Juilliard. Nice. Uh, what is Tar's first name? Linda. Oh, Ooh, that's her real first name. Ooh, yeah. girl. That's a little <laughs> flip on a switch. <laughs> nice one. Okay. I see what you did there. Uh, which composer does the student Max not like? Bach. Nice. Uh, who plays Elliot Kaplan? Oh, no, I don't know that one. I'm going to have to pass. <laughs> yes, no, I do know. Mark Strong, isn't it, actually? Yes. 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 There we go. <laughs> nice, dude. Um, how many beats per minute does Tar say she wants to slow down to when dancing with Sharon? 60, but it's actually 64. Yep, nice. Okay, <laughs> extra point. <laughs> how many people audition for the soloist part? They have a short list of three. I don't remember how many it was before that, though. It was two. That was was it two? Ah, yeah. was it? I thought it was three for some reason. 
There you go. Oh, no, I, now I'm doubting myself. Sure, was, it not, <laughs> was it not she was expecting one, but there was two behind the, the wall? And then he didn't know who to give it to. Oh. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. Okay. Question four. What does Tar tell the ensemble happened to her face? That she got into a fight. She was attacked. Yeah. yeah. You, you get oh, yeah. One, yeah. Um, what is the running time of the film? Oh, approximately like two and a half, just over two and a half hours. Um, yeah, I'll give you that. Two, two hours and 38 minutes. Okay, cool. <laughs> so specific. <laughs> Last one from me. What is the name of the video game Tar conducts the score for at the end of the film? Oh, we talked about this just there. It's, it's Monster did. Hunter, isn't it? It is indeed, my friend. Well done. <laughs> um, and what is the name of the Russian celloist? Olga. Yes. Don't remember the second name. <laughs> it was a sweet note to end on. <laughs> oh no, I'm turning into Gary. <laughs> oh, Christ almighty. So it's that lovely time of the show where we're going to round it off and give our creative recommendations. Gary, my man, you can kick us off. Thanks. Uh, it wasn't until you were asking Ross if he had one that I realised that I didn't have one. Um, I For totally Christ's forgot. Sake. Um, but I have come up with something actually. So um, I was at a friend's house and on Saturday night, and they had just started for the first time the Hannibal TV show, mm-hmm. and I've watched it so many times. So I'm going to recommend that because the the performance in it is brilliant. The screenwriting is fantastic and also the cinematography is just amazing like everything about it is like aesthetically pleasing uh, and it's like a horror tv show but it's like a beautiful horror tv show like you know I've just just so much thought put into it all um that being said it did get cancelled after three seasons so it's really hard to start a tv show that you know got cancelled mm. but where it finishes it feels like it could be an ending, so you'll walk away nice. still going, that's an okay ending, I can I can deal with that. So, nice. yeah, nice. the Hannibal TV show. I might check that out, because I'm actually looking for something to start. So, yeah, thank okay. you for that. <laughs> Ross, what have you got for us, my friend? So, I'm going to controversially recommend another podcast to listen to. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna... Dare you, leave, <laughs> leave our podcast right this instant. No, uh, so <laughs> for me, it's the Team Deacons podcast. Uh, Roger Deacons and his wife, James Ellis Deacons, it's fantastic. They interview people across the whole industry from other cinematographers to actors, writers, directors, composers, all the way down to grips and yeah, like all the way like it's it's really fascinating there's a whole myriad of like kind of opinions and perspectives that are things that you wouldn't necessarily have heard before on just a like a podcast talking to directors or specifically to cinematographers and i think that's really valuable to get the kind of yeah the site across the entire industry i'd also say that the his website rogerdeakins.com is also a might is, is yeah it's it's so good it's a fantastic resource for looking at old lighting diagrams even asking questions on the forum to yeah the like roger deakins himself as well as all the other professionals that use it too so no that's my recommendation lovely Thanks. That's actually quite, that's really nice. I think I will give that a listen indeed. Maybe we can see if they would like to come on this and vice uh, versa. They started it off uh, yeah. during lockdown when things weren't in production as much. So it was, yeah, yep. it's continued on because it has been such a hit. So 
that's when uh, Gary started to choose film. And mm. three years later, here I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as big as Roger Deakins, mind you. <laughs> no, we're, we're climbing the ladder slowly <laughs> but surely. Um, yeah, uh, my creative recommendation is uh, just a big old shout out to one of my best gals, Sarah Grant. Her new book is just coming out, Fat Girl Best Friend. Um Sarah was a previous guest on Choose Film. She did the episode on Beauty and the Beast. And yeah, I love supporting friends. So we synopsis of it, uh, well, from the the back of the book, is through the, le- through the broad lens of female friendships, fat girl best friend dives into the treatment of plus-size women in film and television and goes looking for that main character energy we all know we deserve. Um, I've already read most of it and thoroughly enjoyed it. So if you're out there and you're looking for something to read, highly recommend it thanks um but yeah ross my love it's been so nice having you on i hope that you've had a nice time no i have it's been a great time thank you for having me you're very very welcome thank you so much for joining us and for picking tar and could you please let our listeners know where they can find you on social media and so they can keep up to date with all the wonderful things you're doing and all the wonderful things that are just about to come out for you yeah so uh i'm rubbish at posting to social media we know you are but um, still it's fine (laughs) instagram's probably the best place for stuff that's kind of coming up i probably should get better that it's ross imlach that's i-m-l-a-c-h and i've got a website which i occasionally update it's got yeah some stills from projects and it's uh, i-m-l-a dot c-h stunning darling well Everybody, I am Nick, and you can follow me at Nick underscore Dockerty on Twitter and just underscore another underscore shorty21 on Instagram. And I'm still Gary, and you can still follow me at Pro on Instagram and Twitter. And if you are loving what you are hearing, subscribe and share what we're doing. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please remember to rate and review the podcast. And you can also leave your lovely comments on our Facebook group, Choose Film Podcast. You can follow the podcast at Choose Film on Instagram. Nope, nope, nope. It's been a while. It's been a while. <gasps> fucked it for the first time. I know. You can follow the podcast at Choose Film Podcast on Instagram and Film Choose on Twitter. <laughs> you have been listening to Choose Film Podcast and join us on our next episode where Gary and I are going to be sitting down to discuss Lost Girls. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Bye.